You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church, located on Mountain Avenue in Roanoke, Virginia. We are glad you found us. My name is Elizabeth Link, and I'm the executive pastor. Each week, we climb into the pulpit with a bit of fear and trembling. We hope and pray that what we have to say is true to God's will for the church and may encourage and challenge you on your journey of discipleship. Please rate and review if you enjoy. May the Spirit have some word for you in what we have to share. Let us join our hearts together again in prayer. Loving God, we are yours. We come to your living word as we are, imperfect, broken, and open, ready for your word to take root. Strengthen our faith and bring us your healing. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of Mark's favorite writing styles is to place two stories sandwiched together, meaning one story begins, another story interrupts it, and then the first story continues on. So you have the bread, the meat or the jam, and then the bread again. The story we're about to read from Mark chapter 5 fits this sandwich style to a T. We have the story of a little girl and a father who comes to Jesus for help. And then we have a woman who interrupts that story and comes to Jesus with her needs and concerns. Then we pick back up with the story of the little girl. See if you can note that flow as we look together at Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, which is found on page 811 of your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. Hear these words for the church today. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered round him, and he was by the lake. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she had healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, 
Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went into where the little child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them to tell no one about this and told them to give her something to eat. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I led a Bible study on this passage just this past Thursday. I asked the women gathered where they would place themselves in this story. One replied that as a parent, she couldn't help but place herself in the shoes of Jairus, a terrified father, seeking the help of a daughter. Another shared that it's easiest for her to see herself as someone in the crowd, curious, and perhaps a little skeptical. I wonder where you would locate yourself in these lines. Are you the one in search of healing? Are you the one lost in grief? Are you curious, skeptical, hopeful, uncertain? Mark makes a point at the start of our passage to note Jesus' location. He is by the sea. Just verses earlier in chapter 4, he was asleep in a boat when a great storm arose and his disciples utterly lost their religion and fear. Then, like now, Jesus doesn't jump to respond to the emergency. Then, like now, Jesus asks his questions and takes his time. The crowd closes in around him. A woman touches. Jesus waits. As one commentator pointed out, if Jesus were a pizza delivery guy, that pie would be free every time. He's not one to jump in the ambulance. He's not worried about our timelines. A leader in the synagogue named Jairus has just approached Jesus as he reached the shore. Fear for one's child can make a parent go to incredible lengths in search of a solution. We can imagine that by the time Jairus approached Jesus, he's tried every medical and spiritual option available to him. He has pleaded with physicians. He's asked his colleagues and his congregants to pray. He's used his considerable influence in the community to seek out innovative options. He has spent time and money to find a solution, all to no avail. In desperation, he's made his way to the shore and falls at Jesus' feet. 
We can almost feel the relief and gratitude when Jesus agrees to help. We can visualize Jairus as he shoves and shouts his way through the crowd, and we can feel, too, the frenzy inside of him when Jesus stops because someone touched his clothes. It's an interruption along the way, but it's more than an interruption. It's a person, a woman, a woman who had been suffering for 12 years, bleeding, hemorrhaging. She's tried everything, and nothing can help. She's at the end of her rope. Mark doesn't often tell us the inner thoughts of his characters, but he does here. This woman has one thought as she draws close to Jesus. She won't even need to ask him for healing, she thinks. She won't need to disturb his progress toward the house of an important person. If she's lucky, these two men won't even notice her. All she has to do is touch Jesus, even just touch the hem of his clothes, and she's sure that will be enough. David Schnasa Jacobson notes in his commentary that this woman is given very little agency at the explanation of her situation. In the Greek, every verb that is used here to describe her is in the past participle. So if we were to translate a little more directly from the Greek, it would say, Now there was a woman who, having suffered from her hemorrhages, having endured much under her many physicians, having spent all her money, having not benefited, but having gotten worse, now having heard about Jesus, and having come from behind. She is past participled to the max. She was what had happened to her. But then she touched Jesus' clothes, and the verb tense changes. With that one indicative verb, touched, suddenly she has agency. She makes a choice. She takes the action, and she's healed. This woman was right about what she needs, but she was wrong about no one noticing. Jesus notices immediately and turns to see whom he has healed. There are so many people crowding around him, so he asks and his disciples reply, So many people are around you, Jesus. What do you mean someone touched you? Half a dozen people probably touched you. But the woman knows what Jesus means. She knows exactly what Jesus means. And though she has no idea what will happen now that she has interrupted this powerful man's journey to another powerful man's house, she comes forward, overcoming any fear, and kneels down to tell the truth. Mark says the woman told Jesus the whole truth. It's because of what she shared that we know about her predicament. It's because of what she tells about her 12 long years of suffering and disappointment and failed treatments that we know a bit about her story, though I wish we knew her name. Daughter, Jesus calls her. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Jesus could have kept cruising by, but he allowed space for the interruption. While everyone else was in a rush, Jesus stops and takes time to know her and to make himself known to her. Meanwhile, we can imagine Jairus' sense of urgency, quite probably even his panic and impatience. I don't know about you, but I would have been losing it in this moment. 
knowing your child's rescue is so close and yet somehow still out of reach. We don't know if Jairus snaps or pleads or even yells in that moment. All we know is that he waits when the waiting seems unbearable. Then Jairus receives the worst news a parent can get. His little girl is dead. Now that the interruption of the bleeding woman is over, Jairus and Jesus continue on to the house. Because even when plans don't work out, Christ walks with us. Do not fear, Jesus says, but believe. Jairus has to learn another kind of faith. The faith to keep walking in the valley of death. The faith that endures past the worst kind of news. The faith that holds steady in the face of mocking, disbelieving laughter. For when they came to the house, the leader of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion. People were weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Proclamations about resurrection of the dead sound foolish to the ears of the world. Of course the people laugh. But Jesus enters in, pushes everyone else out but Jairus, the girl's mother, Peter, James, and John. And he says to the girl, Talitha Kum, which means, get up. And immediately the girl gets up. And then we get the detail that explains why these two stories are sandwiched together. The little girl is 12 years old. The woman had been sick for 12 years. Jesus calls the woman daughter and restores her to health and wholeness. Here in the synagogue leader's house, Jesus touches a dead body, rendering Jesus himself unclean. And Jairus' daughter is brought back to life. Two outsiders, restored to life. Two outsiders, proclaimed daughters of Israel. Today in Israel, on the shores of Lake Galilee, there's a place called Magdala, a holy land retreat center of sorts, with archaeological sites, space for worship, and rooms for travelers to board. Full of historical artifacts and religious art, Magdala houses a large mural. It depicts not the faces of the story, but the feet. It's hard to tell which feet are Jairus's, which feet are the disciples, but it is clear to see which feet belong to Jesus. This is a painting of feet, but it's not about the feet. It's about a miracle. It's about faith. It's about faith that still holds uncertainty. The people in our story don't know exactly who Jesus is yet. There's a confidence named as faith that the woman and Jairus hold. This tells us something of the kind of people attracted to the gospel. Sometimes faith means you're bold and you tell your whole truth. Sometimes Faith means you doubt your way through the recitation of a creed. One of the hardest parts of healing and resurrection, stories like these, is that we can be left wondering where our miracle is. 
Jesus healed the diseases of many people, but he did not eliminate all disease. He stilled a storm on the lake in Galilee, but he did not make all storms cease. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, but he did not banish death. Plenty of people in Jesus' day still experienced the unimaginable loss of a child. Such horrific loss continues today. Suffering remains a part of life. But those miracles that the gospel records were signs of the inbreaking kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. Miracles as signs of God's inbreaking kingdom. And miracles still occur. In Mark 5, we witness the miracle of thresholds crossed. We witness a daughter move from exclusion to wholeness and another daughter move from death to life. We're left to consider what healing truly means. These two daughters of Israel come close and see a new vision of who God is and what God values. In one, we see where Jesus demands we not see death where he sees life. and the other, he demands that legalism give way to love. In each story, Jesus embraces what is impure in order to show mercy. In each story, a previously hopeless daughter goes in peace because Jesus isn't a pronouncer of death, but a giver of new life. Today, we are encouraged to consider where Christ's healing meets us. Where is his mercy bringing grace? How is his love mending the broken? Who is he calling beloved? And where are you in this story? The healing, the restoration, doesn't always mean the cure. But it does always mean relationship, wholeness, shalom. Christ's kingdom is breaking in. We have to watch for it. Wait for it. Be bold enough to seek after it and point it out where we see it. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.